On this episode, I was recently a guest on the Keezer podcast, and they have a podcast called Healthy to 100. And I was a guest on there for two episodes, and I thought it'd be great to be able to just publish this on our own podcast because I think a lot of this information you'll really enjoy. It's pretty much going back to basics with freestyle, with swimming, and we look at what matters, what's worth knowing, what's worth doing when it comes to freestyle. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome back, everybody, to Healthy to 100 for another episode. Uh, we're joined again by swimming coach Brenton Ford, uh, and we've recorded these two podcasts directly after each other. We just had to have a five-minute gap so I could book into one of Brenton's uh, swimming clinics because I've realised my technique's terrible, uh, and the only way that I'm ever going to beat all of my mates uh, is by getting better technique. So I look forward to a video analysis, Brenton. Can't wait. Well, that's probably one of the main motivations of people who come and see me is they want to beat their mates or it's parents who their kids are starting to get faster than them and they want to try and delay that process a little bit longer. So I understand the motivation. Another motivation, I bet, and, and this is a motivation for uh, so many people who, who come to Kiza, is whatever activity they're doing, they want to be doing it for the next 20 years or 30 years. And it doesn't matter if they're 40 or 50 or, or 60. So what I want to chat about in the next half hour is what are the things that definitely can facilitate performance today? Absolutely important, but also that can facilitate people participating in this sport that you love and I love for the next 20 plus years. So I've got a list of things that I want to tick through. First thing I want to ask you about is equipment, which is probably a kind of a relatively small list for swimming compared to if I'm chatting to a golf pro. But, mate, uh, wetsuits compared to, you know, uh, one-pieces, budgie smugglers for men and one-pieces for, for women, um, uh, goggles, caps, stuff like that. What, what's, what's important um, for swimmers when it comes to equipment? Yeah, so everyone's going to need goggles. And a couple of tips with goggles. It's certainly personal preference and it's worth just trying a couple on in whichever shop you, you do go to. But if you are swimming outdoors, you're probably going to want some tinted goggles to make sure that you're not getting the sun directly in your eyes. Or if you are, then the tinted goggles will, will just allow you to be able to see. So tinted goggles is one. If you are going open water, you probably want slightly, slightly bigger lenses than some of the ones that are designed for the pool. So uh, there's just some, some main ones there that can help people get started. Swimming cap, that's optional. Uh, if you do have long hair, you're probably going to want to get one because if your hair's going all over the place, it's, it's a bit more drag and it can be a little bit of a, a nuisance. Uh, but it's certainly not, not required, but it can just help keep your hair in place. I think it's I, also relevant, like goggles and caps, although it, it sounds silly, like, uh, comfort is a big reason that people continue doing a sport. Mm. And I... I'm a bit of a wimp, and so when it gets anywhere near winter in Bondi, I throw the swimming cap on straight away because yeah. it just stops me getting that little bit of a head freeze and I can continue doing the open water swim and I really enjoy it. Whereas if I forget the cap, I'm, my ears are cold and I'm like a bit of an ice cream headache and I just it's, – it's not as enjoyable. So, you know, good goggles that don't leak, you know, big lenses if you're in the open water, um, you know, cap if it's a little bit cold. I think those things do make a bit of difference people's comfort. Yeah, totally. And I'm the same. If I 
am swimming in the open water. I'll sometimes double cap it. I'll put two caps on and I'm down here in Victoria. So it's a little bit cooler, but yeah, that, that sort of comfort certainly helps. And another comfort factor there is like earplugs. If you don't, if you have water that gets stuck in your ears and it's, it's annoying, just getting some, some earplugs. There's a lot of different ones out there. I like the, I use Zogs. That's, uh, I don't know, like just Zogs earplugs. I think they only make one kind, but I've found them to be pretty good. And you can also get custom ones and stuff if you are swimming on a more regular basis. But even that alone can stop people getting in the water. And I see it with my young kid. He's like, he will not put his hand under the water because he gets water in his ears. So we don't change too much as adults either sometimes. (laughs) Earplugs are um, a one. And then with wetsuit or, or bathers and that sort of thing, if you are going in the open water, most places you'll be, it will get cold over winter and just having a, a wetsuit will make it so much more enjoyable to be in there for people. And what I normally say in terms of what wet, what wet suits you should get for most brands, I would normally steer clear of like the, the base level one and just maybe go like one model up or, or two models up. It might cost you another hundred or 200 bucks, but usually there's a little bit more um, slightly thin material through the shoulders and that can make it a lot easier to, to swim. So with a lot of brands, those base models, they're, they're fine and they, they can be all right, but it is a little bit harder to move and you'll probably fatigue a bit sooner through the shoulders. So that's normally my advice for people when they are getting one is you want that comfort through the shoulders. It's really good advice. We did one of these podcasts on surfing and, and Richie Wallace, who looks after the Rip Curl Pro uh, down at Bells, Richie talked about the importance of you know, investing a bit of money in a good wetsuit for surfing. And it's not only temperature, but you know, what Brenton was referring to there is the quality of the neoprene or the amount of flexibility in the neoprene will dictate how much your uh, how much resistance you've got to moving your shoulder. So if you put on a surfing wetsuit circa 1980, there wasn't a heap of flexibility in there and you felt like you're working against resistance bands. It might be a good workout for you the whole time, but won't be as much fun. Whereas... The, I, I roll around in a two times U wetsuit, not nice plug for Lukey O'Shea at, at two times U, but um, the neoprene in those now and the, the elasticity in them um, is amazing. Like they just don't restrict your, your shoulder movement at all. Yeah, it's and the technology and the quality has certainly come a long way. And if it's something that you that you love to do, and I sort of equate this with like swimming, for me, swimming and surfing, they're probably my two biggest passions and for for something that you you really enjoy i think just spend the money like i bought a new surfing wetsuit six months ago because it's getting pretty cold in winter got the top of the line rip curl one and i'm just so glad i did i'm like it's another 200 bucks on what i might have got but it's probably going to last longer it's going to be much more comfortable and i'm going to enjoy it so i think spending money on things that you enjoy uh it's it's worth doing so yeah if that's swimming get yourself a good wetsuit yeah, I think it's a good point. Something that I've spoken to a, a few patients about, um, one of my patients is a swim teacher up here, has run a, a swim school in Terry Hills uh, for many years and Anne's a big advocate of the shorts. So it's not that uh, it's not that cold up here in Sydney, but getting yourself a pair of, particularly for, for blokes who, who tend to drag their feet a little bit and kind of act like anchors in the water, can you just explain everyone... I'm wondering your thoughts on it and if you could explain to people why that might be beneficial. Yes. The the buoyancy shorts that you're talking about or or float pants as people will call them, they're these swim shorts that'll just help pop your hips and your your legs up. 
And it's very similar to having a wetsuit on, but it's much easier to put on and you can wear it at the pool without overheating. And uh, it, it makes a huge difference to your body position. And I think the coach that I was when I first started as a traditional sort of swim coach would have said, oh, it's cheating, you know, take those off. But the thing, and what I've come to learn is that if you are an adult and you're enjoying your swimming and the float pants or the, the buoyancy shorts make you enjoy your swimming a whole lot more and it gets you to the pool and gets you actually doing the workout rather than going, oh, I don't really enjoy my swimming and you know, maybe I won't go wear the shorts like it is it can be so much more enjoyable for people because it just takes care of such a big factor which is is that body position and that balance there and um yeah i've I've got nothing nothing against it and okay yeah maybe it's cheating compared to not having them but who cares like i've got a lot of the guys that i swim with in squad will wear them and uh yeah go go for it it's uh yeah it's just like like we're wearing floaties for a kid that can't swim it's like well at least they're in there and they can do it rather than sitting on the sidelines it's yeah just do it i was gonna i was gonna share the story i rehabbed a um a patient after a a shoulder injury and he he loved swimming had an injured his shoulder um swimming had done another another way rehabbed his his shoulder and he actually wasn't going to get back into swimming He, he was really worried about it and he was like a bit like, wow, maybe my swimming career is over. And his son recommended that he get a pair of the shorts. And lo and behold, that was just the, the kick that he needed. He, he went back. His body position was good. He had lost a lot of fitness because he, after shoulder surgery, had been off for um, six months. But he got back into it, and that was the catalyst. I, I honestly think that was probably the difference between him uh, going back to swimming and doing it three times a week down at Balmoral and maybe never going back. So I'm I'm all about participation and people doing it for as long as they possibly can. And that guy's swimming career is continuing. So I'm a big fan of the shorts. Yeah, um, it's, it's such a good story. And it's not an uncommon one, I've, I think, with a lot of people. It just makes their swimming so much more, more enjoyable. And you, you'll certainly get coaches who will say, like, what are you wearing those for? They're probably a more old school sort of coaches and but yeah, it's like who cares? You know, <laughs> who who cares what um yeah. what someone else is doing if, if they enjoy it more and it keeps them going? Absolutely, use them. Yeah, uh, Brendan. So we we've covered on um, equipment. Uh, very interested in training. So you mentioned before that when you were swimming at your most elite level, you're doing eight or nine sessions a week in the pool. You then said that you're doing about three or four now. Um, the people that you work with or kind of the average everyday swimmer, what's your thoughts on how often they should train? Yeah, whatever, whatever they can do is is good. But my usual rule of thumb for most people is two, you can typically maintain what you've got and three is a good number to be able to improve what you're doing. Obviously, everyone's different, but that's that's what I'd sort of go with as, uh, as a rule for most people, especially those that would come to our to our clinics, it would be, yeah, you can definitely get better with two, but you'll notice a difference with three. So uh, I think three is kind of the, the minimum to really see improvement. Four is great as well, but yeah, three is what I'd, I'd try to aim for for most people because with swimming, it's just that feel for the water that you lose quite quickly and you can develop that feel for the water a lot better with the, that consistency of three. And how long are those sessions? Have we... You know, there would need to be a minimum twenty minutes. I would have thought in the in the pool to even start to make a difference. But as a guideline, about how long are you recommending? Yeah, I'd be thinking uh, in the pool, like a minimum of probably 
45 minutes is what you'd want to aim for as a minimum. If you're going in the open, in the open water, you're going to be swimming that whole time. Usually you might have a stop here at out at a, at a buoy or at a, at a post, but you're swimming yeah, for, for a longer period of time there with probably less rest if you're going than if you're going to the pool. So um, you'd probably want to go a minimum of 30 minutes if you're in the ocean, but I, I'd usually say about 45 minutes to an hour is quite a good time frame. And um, you know, when, when the squad I swim with, they're all pretty good swimmers. They're all, all adults. We'd normally go an hour 15 to an hour and a half, but yeah, I think um, 45 to 60 is kind of the, a good one to aim for. And so we're doing three sessions a week. Um, I'm, a, I'm a runner as well. And I would normally look at my running like being one, one long running session, uh, one running session that's a bit shorter, and then one that's an interval session. How does that apply to swimming? Yeah, pretty, pretty similar approach is what I'd normally give people. So if you did have three sessions a week, I'd normally be looking to do one as a, as a longer swim, maybe slightly longer intervals, like some 400s or 300s uh, with a little bit less rest, but that'd be your more aerobic based session. Give you that, just that base fitness. The second one would usually be a bit of a threshold session where we're looking to do some, some intervals that are closer to like your 1.5 K sort of race pace. Um, so up around that sort of, pace you might you're going to vary it a bit um something that i think people probably don't do enough of at least who haven't learned to swim as a kid is most people do all their session at the same speed and so what we want to ideally do is just mix up the pace a bit and get them being able to change gears when they're swimming so some simple things like that would be you might do four 100s and you might just get a little bit quicker each one so we'd call it like you know, 70% on the first one then 75 80 and 85 percent just perceived effort for those four 100s and just doing different sets like like that where they're actually changing their speed and if you haven't done that before you'll probably find it really hard to actually have that gradual improvement over time you might go the first one okay the next one a little bit quicker and the last two will be slower because you've just burnt all your candles so yeah it takes some practice but that's something that's really important so that's our threshold one. And then the other one we'd normally do is like a, a speed session with some shorter sprints of 25s and 50s at a higher effort. And that's where we can usually mix in a bit more technique work as well with that session. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I think, you know, talking about what principles we can take from elite sport and bring it down to the everyday swimmer or the everyday athlete. Um, so many sports people who are participating in it as weekend warriors, they just do it the same each time. You know, I go for a 5K run at the same speed um, three times a week or, you know, I go for a bike ride and I just go at the same perceived effort. And it's really important for people to understand that really your body will only ever respond to stress. So it needs to be stressed a little bit and, and then it's going to be respond going to respond and there are different ways that you can do it you can do it through how long you go or how frequent you're training or, or your intensity but as a as a running principle we we use an 80 20 principle where about 80 percent of your running should be relatively low intensity and 20 percent should be at a higher intensity does that kind of apply to to swimming as well brenton yeah you'd have it fairly fairly similar you probably have a slightly more at a at a, at a higher intensity, I think partly because running is a little bit more stress on the body with the, the impact of it, but a pretty similar sort of principle. 
And you'll get that with at an elite level as well. Uh, you, they'll have anywhere between like two to four, like an elite level swimmer, two to four key sessions during the week. And they might be doing 10 sessions um, overall. And yeah, those two to four are where they're going to be working pretty hard. And the rest would be, yeah, lower, lower intensity and lower, lower effort. That's such good numbers. So two to four key sessions or intensity sessions a week out of 10. So you, you just do the numbers for everyone listening, 20 to 40% um, of your sessions are, are done uh, at a higher intensity and, and the other ones at less. And also the difference between difference in speed between those higher intensity and lower intensity sessions, it's it's relatively significant, isn't it, Brenton? Like it's measurable. Yeah. And it's it's interesting if you watch a, an elite level squad train, they're they are so tuned into what they like what their pace is. And and it's it's um the interesting thing is like when you're doing your your harder efforts and let's say you're going like 80, 85%, and 90% with that, with that perceived effort. Some people think that between those like 80, 85, and 90, that it would be uh, like for them, let's say like 10 seconds different for each, uh, 10 seconds faster per 100 for, from going from 80% to 85 to 90%. I think should be these massive differences with, with that part of it. But the thing is, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's much more minimal than that. So like what I'm getting at is that, people think that when they're like increasing the effort a little bit, that they'll have these radical speed changes, but it's like, it might only be one or two or two seconds when you go from that, those sorts of numbers. But that said with you, like if you're going at just aerobic, uh, let's say you're going one or two minutes, for example, at your aerobic pace, then your um, anaerobic pace, or when you're going faster, it's not, it's not going to be one minute 30 for that hundred. It's probably going to be, I don't know, like one, one forty-five to one fifty, somewhere around there, maybe. So, um, yeah, it's like it's it's certainly faster, but we're not looking for this like huge differences. You just up the intensity a little bit. Yeah. So, so, so do you use perceived exertion? I heard you say that before. Do you use that, or do you use time? Uh it just it just depends with with who we're working with. Like the squad that I swim with, I I set the programs. Our Friday session, we're going off like your PB plus three seconds or PB plus four seconds sort of thing. So we're working from us with a set time, but when we're doing other sessions, it's more just off off perceived effort uh, when we're doing like a threshold session. So it just, it depends on the person, and I quite like perceived effort because it kind of helps it helps you tune into what you think you're sort of doing, and you can hopefully see that that improvement. But I think. Um, you know, in swimming, there's something called critical swim speed, CSS, which is like a way to test roughly what your 1500 meter sort of pace would be. And you can look it up online. It's like a 400 and a 200 time trial, and that can give you your CSS pace. And that's a good number to sort of work from when you're doing some sets. So um, you can work off something like that. But um, because I don't sort of run a squad anymore, I just sort of swim with them. I'm not coaching squad. I, I just do our clinics and stuff. I I just go off perceived effort most of the time with them. Yeah, it's such a valuable tool. Uh, I think is underutilized by a lot of people. So, what do you think some of the most common training mistakes are for for swimmers? 
we yeah we covered the first one which was just not varying the pace enough and just having everything at one speed another one would be not not uh well not breaking up your sessions into into intervals so a lot of people when they start swimming it's like they're going out for the 5k run there's no difference in it they'll go and do 20 laps one kilometer with no no breaks and it's just all done in one chunk and nothing wrong with that but you probably won't improve much by just doing that so you'll see all good swimmers will have their sessions broken up into different intervals of hundreds and two hundreds and uh and there's rest in between them and people look at that and go but then i'd be stopping and i wouldn't be getting as fit but the thing about that is well okay you probably you probably can't push as hard when you don't get those those rests and the thing with swimming is your technique will break down quite a bit as you're going through that one kilometer continuous so you're much better off taking 10 seconds 15 seconds or so after 100 or 200 stopping resetting and going again because you'll be able to maintain better technique and if you train better technique then you're going to be able to hold a faster time over yeah as you swim because if your form breaks down your speed will slow down as well so it's it's a bit of a um barrier that people have to actually breaking up breaking up their session with some rest it's, it's a funny one like i come from a swimming background so it's like well of course it's what you do you, you take some rest in between um but yeah when people are new to it they just yeah it goes against what they think they should be doing because they think well i'm not going to get as fit because i have to stop there you have such a big focus on technique don't you brenton like just listening to you talk there about the degradation of technique as you get a little bit tired i, I can't think of of any runner who would who would describe their running sessions like that but, but your focus is like constant repetition of the best technique possible something along those lines yeah and it's especially with especially with swimming if you watch if you watch the olympics like you'll uh you can see that technique breakdown in the last even like the last 15 meters of 100 freestyle it's those swimmers that can hold their form for the last 15 that will typically finish really? the, the fastest. Yeah, you'll 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 see it. Like there's well, probably I won't, mate. To be honest, no, yeah, okay. I'm probably just jumping up and down on the couch. But you yeah, might yeah. see it. Yeah, it's um, and and that's what they they train. So we want to be able to hold yeah, hold the best technique without without thinking about like just training that as a as a habit. And the way we've got to do that is is do it in training. So as soon as you feel your your form breaking down. Yeah, it's okay to push through it a little bit. But you don't want to be training that bad, that bad technique because in in the long run, yeah. While you might your fitness might sort of be be better uh, short term when you train that bad form, you just push through it, push through it. Well, in the long run, you'll be a lot quicker because you're going to train good form if you just like, yeah, you know, take that little bit of a break. That's that's such good advice and and something that so many people will be able to apply myself included um from tomorrow this afternoon if i can get out for a swim and i imagine it kind of i wanted to ask you about um fins and drills and hey if i just want to get better at um you know ironman or triathlon or an open water swim where i'm going to swim freestyle like why do i need to do some breaststroke and why do i need to do some backstroke and stuff like that so is that is the answer to that technique as well or if i jump the gun there uh i yeah i think mixing in other other strokes it's just it allows you to move in a different way it gives some of those those freestyle muscles a bit of a, a break 
and a bit of a rest. And especially with like freestyle, it's all it's obviously all on your on your front. And so when you do a bit of backstroke, it can just open up the shoulders and uh, yeah, and just allow you to use those slightly different muscles. So I think it's good to mix it up that way. And in terms of mixing in drills, like I'm anyone who's watched any of my videos or podcasts that we do, like you'll probably get sick of me talking about doing drills. But when you're looking to learn a skill, it can be hard to do it just by thinking about it. And so we want to break down certain aspects of the stroke with drills and learn that aspect of it. Let's say it's just a catch, for example. So we, we practice that movement with a drill and then that's going to help us take that, that small component of it into the full stroke. So doing some drills in your warm-up is so important if you, if you want to improve your technique. And people might think that and or hear that and think, well, I've, I've done drills before, but they never really did anything. If you know what you're focusing on with the drill and the purpose behind it, you can really make some big improvements. But most people will just like hear a drill. Let's say it's single arm freestyle where you're doing freestyle with one arm, the other one's by the side. You can do that drill all day, but you can do it without thinking of any particular you know, part of the stroke or anything that you're trying to change. Um, and it's probably not going to make any improvement if you don't know what you're focused on. So yeah, it's a big part of what we try and do is just like explain why you're doing the drill, what should you be getting right in it, and how is that going to translate to your, your full swim stroke. So, um, yeah. Well, I can give some some biomechanical basis to that. I mean, even your example of you want to get a better at freestyle, so do a little bit of backstroke. You talked earlier on in our technique podcast about the need for um, to get some thoracic extension to be able to lift your chest up for certain parts of breathing in, in open water. Well, I can tell you from a physio perspective that um, lifting your arm up above your head in backstroke is going to facilitate you being able to get more thoracic extension. So it might be, you know, you're doing backstroke, not, not hopefully you never have to do backstroke in nine man, because that's usually an indication that you need some help from the lifesavers. Um, but that it will help um, a component of your freestyle like, thoracic extension and then there's that carryover there so yeah it does it completely makes sense what you say that's it's funny i got an email yesterday someone asking when i do like i do 25 a backstroke and then i go into freestyle that first lap after doing backstroke that first lap of freestyle is my fastest one why is that i was like i'm not really sure <laughs> so maybe you've answered that question for me I honestly think it is. I mean, one of the biggest common, one of the biggest problems that we see as physios, people sitting down all the time and the world that we live in with phones and iPads and stuff like that is people lacking thoracic extension. They will roll their shoulders forwards. Their lungs will shrink a little bit. They won't be able to expand down their diaphragm. I can give you a list of things that it does. Backstroke, this is why I love swimming for kids. One of many reasons. I think it's good survival um, skill as well. But um it just gets you out of that position, forces you to be as tall as possible, both broadens your shoulders and extends your spine. I don't have a number on it, but I'm sure someone's looked at it before about how much more volume you can get into your lungs in that position compared to if you're, you know, you think about the opposite where you're completely hunched and, and round-shouldered. Just makes sense biomechanically. Yeah, and, and that breathing is such a, a key factor with swimming is, a lot of swimmers who struggle with they feel breathless when they swim one of those things is that they will breathe so shallow that they're never getting that much air in so it's just short and fast breathing and very little use of, the, of their diaphragm and then when they finally switch it 
I can't remember the numbers on it. It's, it's something like, it's either 40 or 60%, you can get 40 or 60% more air in when you breathe using your diaphragm compared to if it's that short upper chest breathing. And yeah, it's, it's a huge number when you think of swimming you know, and you're only getting a couple of breaths uh, compared to what you might do. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really important to breathe well and with the right posture, chest open, it's, it's so much easier to do. Not, and not only from an oxygen use um, and an expelling carbon dioxide perspective, but also between 40 and 60% more air has a pretty big effect on your flotation and your mm. position in the water too, doesn't it? Like full lungs, you'll sit up higher, um, you'll be more streamlined compared to someone who's you know, just breathing apically or, or at the apex of their lungs, not using their diaphragm. Short breaths yeah. just tend to sit lower in the water, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's sort of like a... Um, uh, not like a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy for people, but like when someone's feeling like they're exhausted when they swim, they're, pro- they're usually going to breathe shorter and shallower and quicker. And so it's just trying to be calm and relaxed. And that's why we being relaxed is a huge component of, of swimming well. And it's, but it's not that easy to, uh, to achieve straight off the bat because that's not people's first reaction when they go to water if they haven't, you know, if, if they're not comfortable in it or they're new to the sport, it's like tense and panicked and like, you know, just, it, it's hard to get them to relax, but when they get there, it, it's like their whole swimming's just turned upside down, but in the right way. It's, it, it really makes things a whole lot easier. Brenton, it's been such a good conversation, mate. People will have taken heaps out of this and, and everyone can probably hear in my voice the couple of light bulb moments I've had where realizations about my own training or my own technique, but mate, people are going to want to, make contact with you uh we will we'll put some um some tags in the, in the show notes and, and when we upload this we'll make sure that we tag effortless swimming but where can people find you and if they do want some guidance guidance what what are their options yeah well thanks for, for having me on i've really really enjoyed it um yeah so we we run clinics around the country here in australia primarily Melbourne and Sydney, but we're also in the other capital cities. So if you look up effortless swimming, well, effortlessswimming.com is where you'll find all of those. And we've got them fairly regularly. And that's where we do our underwater filming and analysis in these small group clinics. And um, yeah, if you haven't been filmed before, and if you do want to improve your swimming, that, that'd that probably be the main one for people who are listening. Um, otherwise, if you check out our YouTube, we've got heaps of videos there just to get you started with uh, with technique basically but yeah otherwise effortlessswimming.com is probably the best place to find us thank you thank you very much and I, I couldn't be a bigger advocate of it I, I mentioned earlier on that so many golfers go and see their golf pro for guidance and and it should be in my opinion the same for all of the swimmers out there and the same for cyclists and, and the same for runners and hopefully this these couple of podcasts can break down some of those barriers that have existed between people going to engage a swimming coach because it's so useful, such a beautiful sport, so common um, that people participated in Australia. Hopefully we can make a few people a bit faster and keep them swimming a bit longer. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. It's it's very hard for an adult to find somewhere to go and see a swim coach because most of them are all for, for kids. And that's the feedback I get a lot um, is that like we, there's nothing there's nothing like out there for, for us. But yeah, that's that's what that's who we work with primarily is is adults, and uh, yeah, no need to uh, feel like embarrassed about your stroke or like you're going to be the oldest one there. Like it's uh, yeah, we work with adults who might not have had a swim lesson before, and uh, yeah, and so people are pretty nervous coming into it, thinking oh, I'm going to be the odd one out. But 
yeah, no, we, we work with people um, without any swim experience. So uh, yeah, that's, that's who I love working with because you can have the biggest improvements and just like, it's awesome watching someone go from like a 215 pace per hundred down to 145 over the course of maybe 12 months or 18 months. And uh, yeah, you can have some big improvements, especially as, as an adult. So yeah, I love doing it. And uh, thanks for having me on the, on the show, Tim. No worries. No one should be uh, should be worried about coming down to your swim clinic. I'll, I'll be there in March um, and I'm certainly a slow, slow hack swimmer. So if I can go down, um, anybody can, mate. I look forward to coming <laughs> down and saying hello. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.